every area in your life will become significantly better, or at least you will understand where to start to make every area of your life better once you really, really, really get honest and look inside and just allow yourself to feel. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 302 with guest Chase Tuning. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Every time I start these intros... I'm always just delighted that I get to talk to you. Like, you should see how big I'm smiling every time I say, hey, they're ass kickers, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I'm just like, y'all are the shit for showing up every week. And maybe you don't make it every week, but just showing up at all. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm just honored that you come and spend time with me and allow me to be a part of your life. So that, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I was feeling the love and I like to just say it out loud when I'm feeling the love. Speaking of feeling the love, I wanted to share with you, I'm sharing it with permission. I got this email from a woman who was a client. She was in my last group program that I was in. Her name's Rebecca. Rebecca's a very special woman. And I just had the honor of getting to know her over 12 weeks that we were together and she came to my house for the retreat that we had. And she's just such an amazing human being. And she sent me an email in response to, remember the email I sent out last month about how afraid I was to write this book. And then I just happened to a couple of episodes ago, dive even more on the podcast to talk to you about sort of how I'm getting through this period of my life, including the tools and things that I am learning for it. So clearly it's been something that I've talking to you a lot about as well as been something on my mind a lot over here. All right. So Rebecca sent me an email in regards to this whole thing. And I want to read it to you. She gave me permission to read it to you because I think it's such a beautiful thing that she said, and I felt like it would be helpful to y'all. So she says, Andrea, Thank you for sharing your email regarding the new book you are working on. I know that you have a fabulous coach, supportive network, and amazing friends who I'm sure have responded to your call and provided incredible feedback, and I too wanted to respond as your email really brought up a strong reaction deep within me. I believe the most important responsibility that we have is to be the person we were created to be, to share our views and express how we see the world and provide insight and feedback that no one else has. That is our responsibility to ourselves, our family and friends, and our communities. Because if we don't, then we have all lost out on understanding the unique and creative nature of you. If you have something to say, please share it. It is your take, and if you can share that take in a way that encourages or shakes people up to see the world in a different way, then you must share it. Not sharing it diminishes the light within and I think impedes your ability to be your true self. I was a lighthouse keeper for a week as part of a fun trip with some friends not long ago. 
we took care of this beautiful 1857 lighthouse that was the first to be built in the Puget Sound by giving tours, doing maintenance, cleaning windows, polishing brass, etc., and making sure the light was always on to warn sailors as they were passing through the narrow channel. I bring this up because that was the image that I immediately thought of after reading your email on the new book. Our job at the lighthouse was to protect the light from always staying on in order for it to do what it was built to do. In the same vein, you must guard that light inside of you by sharing your unique and authentic perspective, no matter the fear that comes up. You can only control your take, not how it is taken or received. But if you know it's something you need to bring to the awareness, then it is your responsibility to share, not only to keep your light aflame, but to bring light to topics and areas that need focus and discussion. For that is the only way any of us grow as individuals, families, and communities. She goes on to say, I completely understand what that fear and worry feels like, but the only times I truly regretted in my life where I had something to share and didn't for worry of not being accepted. I wasn't being myself and then felt shitty because I knew that I had disappointed my authentic self. Be you. There is only one of you and the world is a better place when you are expressing and creating as only you can. I pray for blessing upon you as you finish the book and know that so much goodness will come back to you. Finish that book in a feisty, confident manner, just as Cha-Cha danced her heart out knowing that no one else could bring to the dance floor what she had. Give them hell, Rebecca. And I it, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I just was so verklempt and I couldn't bear to be the only receiver of that message. I wanted all of you to receive that too, because it was such a beautiful message. And I agree a thousand percent. I could not have said it better myself. So thank you, Rebecca, for sending that to me and giving me permission to share that gorgeous truth with the rest of the listeners on the podcast. One quick announcement I wanted to bring you is that starting on Friday, if you're listening to this within the first few days that this podcast comes out, starting Friday, October 11th, I am going to be retiring, not me, I'm not retiring, but Amy Smith and I created the Self-Love Revolution back in 2012. And with it, we created our signature program called the Master's Course, which we have taught many, many times. We've even taught it live and it's its own digital program. We are retiring that. We are jumping into a different joint venture project that we're very excited about that you will hear about shortly. But that means we're going to retire the master's course. This is a course all about self-love, covering things like your emotions, your inner critic, how to forgive yourself, things that are in complete alignment with getting to that place of self-acceptance and self-love. So if you're not on my email list on Friday, you can head over to theselfloverevolution.com or super easy, you can sign up for my emails by texting the word kickass to 444-999 and you will get notified as soon as we open doors for that. We're only going to leave it open for three days and once it's gone, it's gone and it's going to be 50% off. If you want to work with me in some capacity, this is a really great way to do it at a fraction of the price that it costs to work with me privately. So again, theselfloverevolution.com or simply text the word kickass to 444-999. All right, switching gears a little bit into 
today's show. I have been on Chase's podcast twice, actually, and we actually mentioned this at the very end of the podcast, but I'm going to kind of bring it front and forward. I would love for you to listen to, if, if nothing else, the second interview where I was on Chase's podcast. It's in the show notes. The link is in the show notes. And in it, I'm pretty sure it's in the beginning of the show. We kick it off by telling a story of this is it an incident that happened? Something that happened between the two of us. There was an exchange where, quite frankly, Chase pissed me off. And I was in that place of, should I say something or should I not say anything? And it was one of those moments that as a woman, being in this situation with a man, and also it it felt awkward for me because I'm older than he is by, I think, at least about about 15 years or so, maybe maybe a little bit less, at least 10. And I, I had that feeling of like, have you ever been in that place where you're like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to seem like the, like, I don't want to seem like a mom. I don't want to seem like I'm complaining and things like that. And it was just like kind of eating at me. And I'm like, you know what? I have to say something. And so I drafted what I felt was a very kind, uh, an email and clear and saying like, Hey, here's my experience and what happened. And I'm not happy about it. And he responded really with so much grace and we ended up working it out and he was generous enough to use it as a teaching moment on his podcast and we told the story on that podcast and so I didn't want to I didn't want to rehash it out again but I do think it's worth you going over there and listening to because it's a great example of well for me speaking up when I questioned it. And I'm like, well, should I? Should I just let it go? And I think so many of us are in, I've been in that position before where we're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to try to have it be water under the bridge. But really, I am trying to be in a place where I'm done complaining about things. I'm done complaining when someone has done something where I'm not happy. And I think many times in really any relationship, but I think male-female relationships have their own dynamic and this was one of those. <laughs> so I highly encourage you to go listen to it. And Chase is just good people. Um, he has an amazing story. And I'm going to go and let you read his bio over on the show notes. He has an amazing podcast, obviously, that I've been on twice and is doing phenomenal things for the wellness industry. So without further ado, here is Chase. Chase, thank you for being on the show. Finally. It's been a hot minute, right? It has. And as I was saying in the intro, I had such a good time being on your show and you are just such a joy to speak to. I knew I had to have you on. And let me just jump in from the beginning because your story, and I was telling you before we started recording, I'm like, I because I've been on your show twice, you know, all of my deepest, darkest secrets, you know, all these things about me. The only thing I know about you is that you are as big a fan of the movie Nacho Libre as I am. And <laughs> I'm curious about, like, let's start with your story. And you had an injury in the military and it led to multiple hip surgeries, which you are not an old person. You, I'm assuming you were like, in your 20s. And you had to learn how to walk all over again? That is correct. It was not the best. Uh, I had to get one in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm definitely older now. I've actually been out of the military. I cannot believe just last month I had my 10-year, I call it my, we call it our, your silly billion anniversary when you become a civilian again. Okay. I got out in 2009, July, August 
ish, 2009. And, and yeah, I enlisted right after high school. I had every aspiration to stick, stick it out for that 20 years, which is that magic number in the military. You can, you know, you hit, you do your service, you get retired and you get your pension and then go on to your next season of life afterwards. But yeah, about four, four and a half years in, I was preparing for deployment. I had significant injuries happen to my, my hamstring, my back, my hips. And before I could, I could even get sent over there, wound up having complete reconstructive surgery in both my femurs, both oh my, my hips. Was a, a patient um, for about a year and a half. I was completely yanked out of my job, out of my regular unit, transferred bases, sent to this medical hold unit at a hospital. Shout out Brook Army Medical Center, um, adjacent to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. And that's where I lived really for about a year and a half, um, just getting cut open rehabbing, learning how to walk again, and then getting cut open again and rehabbing and learning how to walk again. And then they gave me the boot. I, I was non-deployable and my, my injuries and recovery at that time were deemed too severe for me to be able to be, be put back on active duty. So yeah, at the ripe old age wow. of, of 23, I, w- I retired instead of 37, 38, like I originally planned. So maybe, maybe I'm an overachiever. I don't know. Oh, that is, I just, at 23, I mean, you're, that is incredibly young. I know that for maybe for most of us listening at 23, I thought I was completely grown. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I tell us about, you know, cause we're big on, you know, what did you learn from that experience? What, what, what was the gift in all of that, Chase? Like talk, talk to us about that. I'm, I'm assuming it was not just physically challenged, but deeply emotionally and mentally a journey for you. So true. And to be honest, I mean, that's a really powerful question. Questions really. And only things that I began to reflect on up until like the past, like one to two years, I kind of just washed it, you know, swept it under the rug. And it's like, yeah, that sucked. Yeah, I went through this, went through that. And mm-hmm. it was just boom, 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 you know, true to my nature and true to my mentality at the time. Just, you know, what's the next mission? What's the next thing? Okay. Yeah. Can't stay here too long. Got to keep moving, 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 uh, moving ever forward. Right. Hey. <laughs> but it's looking back, I've been asked this question several times now, and I really am kind of taken back at the significant physical, emotional, and truly spiritual trauma that I went through. And I'll say it was kind of my true to, true to my nature at the time, just how I dealt with really any problem. Um, is that I didn't, you know, it was the mission first. It was just going back to my training. What do I need to do to stay alive or keep the people next to me alive and just, you know, honor my job as a soldier at the time. And up until recently, like I said, I really just started going back through that. And I realized like, wow, I was hooked on narcotic pain medication. Wow. I suffered significant traumas that not only put me on the couch and in bed and in hospitals for months and months, but that really messed with my mind and also being next to others who had it as worse, if not worse than me, the unit I was in, they kind of specialized in amputees and burn victims. So I was wheeling up in my wheelchair or hobbling on my crutches, depending upon where I was in my recovery next to people who were just head to toe, third degree burns and missing all their arms and legs. And so I think at the time I kind of just realized that, yeah, this sucks. Uh, I don't, I'm not having fun every day. I don't enjoy my day-to-day life, but look at all these other men and women who have it way worse than me and they're still showing up. So I, I think my mindset at that time was still kind of just glued to that to kind of help keep me sane. But 
but yeah, I was totally hooked on narcotic pain meds to the point where they gave me a seizure and I wound up knocking myself out, gave myself a traumatic brain injury and wound myself back in the hospital, re-injured my hips and up into the point where, I mean, still to this day, they actually want to redo my left hip. But yeah, it was one of those things that I, I think anyone can relate that's gone through a significant trauma in your life. I mean, what does the body do? It, it suppresses it. It tries to keep you safe, whether consciously or subconsciously until down the road, we get to a point where we're maybe emotionally aware enough, you know, have the emotional intelligence and are prepared to kind of revisit those traumas. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to back up for a second because you said something that like made my ears perk up when you were talking about how you looked around at the other people in there who had, who in your mind had, you know, far worse injuries than you. And you said it could be so much worse. Like I, I really, you know, have so much to be grateful for, like that type of stuff, which I think for some people can be hugely motivating and inspiring for you to get well. And and it can be an or and an and, I guess, that it can make you feel like your injury or whatever it is that you're going through is not worthy of the pain and grief and emotional turmoil that you're actually going through. Oh, yeah. I think you're kind of dancing around the term or you heard of um, what's it called? Survivor syndrome or survivor's regret. Survivor's remorse, yes. I think it's called. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really know about that concept at the time, but but definitely, yeah, I mean, anytime I, I would complain or, I mean, I was in significant pain, a, yeah. a lot, a lot of pain and completely immobilized and my entire professional and personal life transformed one night. You know, I, I went to bed one night, next day I got cut open and began this year and a half long journey. And, and yeah, it, it definitely was. And also a part of my story around that time, this was right shortly after, maybe a year after I just lost my father to a terminal illness. He had a really severe case of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. He had a 17, 18 month battle with it. And it very much rung true to that as well. You know, why him instead of me? And then I'm next to all these men and women who like, I volunteered for the same job that they did. Mm -hmm. Why are they coming back so much worse? You know, why am I any different? And yeah, that, that, survivor's remorse was real. And I, I think at the time it was just kind of my, my way to just get through it. And like I said, only up until the past year or two, I've been able to actually go back and reflect on that and really dig through that emotional attachment um, and excuse really uh, why I was just saying, Oh no, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, yes. Like I can't walk, but you know, I'm good. Mm -hmm. um, it's up. Like <laughs> I, I, I haven't really had the opportunity, I think to fully absorb and appreciate and just allow myself to just accept that, like, yeah, Chase, like, you went through some pretty crappy stuff. And I and I say that just also to remind listeners because I remember when my son was diagnosed with autism and a few other disabilities. He was five, and I I was playing roller derby at the time, and I was confiding in some of the the women that I was playing roller derby with. And and this is just one example of many that I got. But one of the women said, "Well, at least he's verbal." And like, I'm well aware that there are other kids who are further along on the spectrum than my son was that are going to have far more therapies and uh, obstacles in their family to be able to deal with that. And at the same time, I was meant to feel like, stop complaining. Like you have nothing to complain about. Look at how great it is. And, mm -hmm. and I think we can get yeah. sucked into that and feel guilty for even sharing our story in the first place. And that's, that's, I just want to squash that. And so I know that you've, you know, it's been 10 years and you're more evolved and 
you know, more of like a, a, a quote unquote, a conscious man, <laughs> if I may. So oh, do, <laughs> like, what do you, what do you think was the most helpful? Did you seek out, like, if you don't mind sharing, like, was it trauma therapy or do, was there specific things that were, re, re, you know, that were resources that were offered to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, at the time I did everything that I thought I was supposed to, right? Shortly, basically immediately when I got back off of emergency leave and, you know, buried my father, I started seeing a therapist. I went to be, well, first of all, I was freaking out. Uh, I, I wasn't fully aware of the epidemiology of, well, that's a big word. I can't believe I actually remember that. <laughs> um, of Lou Gehrig's disease. I was like, oh crap, like, am I going to get it? Is okay. that going to be me? I was terrified because it's a horrible, horrible, yeah. cruel disease. And I was like, I cannot imagine my life like that. And so I went and you know, every neurologist I could find and every doctor's appointment I could get in the military and started seeing a mental health expert in therapy on and off for, for, you know, for years really. And it's because I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. Uh, okay, Chase, you suffered this loss, go talk to someone. Okay, Chase, you suffered this physical injury, go to your doctor, go to rehab. I, I just did the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I wasn't at a point, like you said, you know, this kind of conscious self, this more conscious self, at least to really stop and think, what exactly am I feeling? Mm -hmm. Why am I feeling this? What do I think is the root cause or causes of all this? And then what makes the next best logical step? Yes. Um, and so, I, like I said, off and on for years, just doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. And on paper, I was like, okay, Chase, yep, look, check mark, you went to therapy. Yep, you went to couples counseling. Yep, you went to your rehab. Yep, you did all these things. But I wasn't. That's not wasn't actually doing the work. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's just the jumping off point. I, it was like, Exactly. It was like, it was like, I was just building this, this experience list, this resume of therapy, physical and emotional and mental. Like I was meant to just share with somebody look, look, I'm good. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> I'm healed. I did all the things. And to answer your question directly is that up until about six years ago, I never had anyone in my life that was strong enough, I will say, or bold enough to really mirror what I was not allowing myself to see or what I didn't want to mm -hmm. see. And that's when I met the most incredible woman in my life, the most incredible person in my life, my, my now wife. And she very quickly, literally about week one or two, she was like, ah, yeah, I see some potential here, but you got some shit going on. <laughs> um, she straight up called me out. And I, like I said, up to that point, I never dealt with anything. And I was being very short and like if, her and I, we met in day zero, like we started dating. It was done. Like that was it for both of us. But she was very hesitant because like you were being hesitant. Mm -hmm. There are things that come up like with your dad and your family and the military and relationships that you're just very guarded. And I'm here for the long haul, but I will not be fighting this wall for the long yeah. haul. And she, she definitely got what she asked for because ever since then, I have not shut up. <laughs> I have not stopped pouring my heart out. And it was just, it's like I was the Hoover Dam, right? And I, I was just meant to just let that river flow. And she was just the right person there, the right gatekeeper, if you will, to to allow me to find that that offshoot, mm -hmm. to start letting that river flow out. And ever since then, yeah, she just, she allowed me, she basically gave me permission to just feel. Yeah. And she she helped me start unraveling this huge, huge physical and emotional and spiritual knot inside of me. And then from there it just turned into, 
I got this like four dollar notebook from CBS and started journaling. And then I got and then I got a nicer like moleskin journal <laughs> because journaling was cool, right? And then I started listening to audiobooks and I just started realizing that wait, wait, hold up, maybe, maybe my physical rehabilitation is getting better and you know, I'm feeling better, but that's just the external aspect. What about all these internal aspects? And that's when I discovered, you know, personal development, self-help and just emotional intelligence and, you know, all the podcasts and all the audiobooks and just really started brain dumping and pouring my heart out. And, um, yeah, that's, that's really it. So shout out May, uh, also Persian women, if you're listening, you can relate because you call, you call us guys out on our BS very quickly. <laughs> Amazing. I, that's a great story. Well, I just real quick, what is your favorite book on emotional intelligence? We can put it in the show notes. Cause that's one thing I need to have somebody on who's an expert at that. Well, um, there is the book Emotional right. Intelligence. That was great. Emotional Intelligence, I think now they have like 2.0 yes. and if not even 3.0. But hands down, I think this answers your question of emotional intelligence. It's number one book recommendation I tell people. I'm like, every human being in the world needs to read Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. I've never, I've heard of Ryan Holiday, but I don't think I've heard of that book. Oh, it's actually, up until recently, I didn't know it was sort of kind of part of a trilogy. So there was Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way, and he has a brand new one coming out in October. I forget the title. That is kind of like his trifecta, if you will. But yeah, I mean, it really did. I don't really consider myself an egotistical person. Of course, that's probably I don't just think anybody talking, would right? actually admit that about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people here in LA. That's uh, true. Um, but yeah, even that book, it's a short read. You can read it just from front to back or just little sections. And it really just showed me, I would, I would read it, Andrea, and I would put it down. I'm like, oh my God, I am the worst human being ever. I'm this egotistical asshole. It was just, it was mind blowing. I think most and of us actually It are. really did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's the book Thank for you. you. you go down. I, yeah, I don't know if I've ever even had I had Sasha Heinz on and she talks a lot about positive psychology, which is in the same kind of category, but we'll put that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, well, you're you're preaching to the choir because I think it's the same with all of my listeners. We kind of there might be a few out there who sort of came out of the womb hungry for personal development and consciousness and things like that, but but typically it's it's people get hooked. Like some either something will happen or they'll just stumble upon a book and then and then they're hooked. And I I just love being able to recommend stuff to people. So thank you for that, and thank you for sharing about your journey too. I think I know for. For men, it's it's becoming, thank God, it's becoming not as weird and, you know, all of the yes, words that we absolutely. put on healing and going to therapy and things like that. It, it used to be a thing that was just whispered about and they called it psychobabble and it just was a sign that it's really interesting that it was kind of a sign of brokenness where it's like, no, everybody's family is broken. Like, <laughs> That's the whole point. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's the whole point. Too true, for sure. Dysfunctional families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I, I think the mental health world has had a spotlight on it for a couple of years now. Uh, I think the authenticity of that is, you know, there's a filtration process going on now. Instead of just being hashtag authentic and mental health and being the cool thing, I think people with real mental health concerns uh, is really rising to the top, and especially with, with the men. And when people, when I share my story with people, it, it really does kind of catch them off guard because like, wait, you're this like health and fitness guy. You're in the military. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why are you talking about your feelings? I, I really do feel there's, there's a pulse rising. There's a, a wave rising, uh, a 
real revolution in masculinity, mm-hmm. I think. And I am so excited for it because I can tell you, if any guys listening right now, every area in your life will become significantly better, or at least you will understand where to start to make every area of your life better once you really, really, really get honest and look inside and just allow yourself to feel. Mm-hmm. Andrea, that's what I, I didn't do that for years. I never allowed myself to feel. I just crammed it all down and I rolled on to the next mission or the next job or the next whatever. Once I began to allow myself to feel and I had that experience where someone gave me permission to basically, and here's here's your permission slip, my friend. You have permission, okay? You have permission to feel and just go through it and just just see what you feel and see what comes up. Uh, that was truly the catalyst for every area of my life. I mean, improving in the gym, uh, my relationship, my personal and professional relationships, just my outlook on life, my, my, my sleep, everything just became so much more clear. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I don't have a lot of men actually on the show. And so- well, let's what? fix that. All right. Oh, hold on. Away. I'm the boss. <laughs> 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 I, it, it's, you know, like talking specifically, I think, especially about heterosexual men. And when you're, you know, Brene Brown talks about it's her second TED talk, and we'll put the link in the show notes. And she talks about, of course, she's talking about shame, but at the very, very end of the TED talk, she says, and I'm going to misquote her, but she said something to the effect of, you show me a woman who can sit with a man in his darkest moments when he's falling apart and feeling broken and talking about it and not chastise him for it and just really be there for him. I'll show you a woman who have, who has done a lot of work on herself. And so what I take away from that is that Woo, it really is. And, and she says it much, so much better than I do. Like it, it truly is the last few minutes of, of that particular talk, but it's about and it's the other way around too. And I, and I don't, I don't think it's just heterosexual relationships. It's, it's any partnership that you're in, whether it's a tight friendship or a romantic relationship, like to be able to sit with your partner while they spill their deepest, darkest secrets and not try to fix it and not try to dismiss it and not try to put a silver lining on it. Like that is vulnerable for the person receiving it. And I I don't think that gets mm-hmm. talked about a whole mm-hmm. lot in the vulnerability conversation. And it's it is and I know that like stereotypically men are the fixers, you know, their their partner comes to them with something and they want to fix it and make it better coming from a very loving place always and that's not always what we need. But anyway, all that to say, just thank you for opening up about your story and um hopefully because I know it, the, the majority of my listeners are women, they'll they'll have their they'll give this to their partners or their brothers or their dads <laughs> or whomever to listen to. Yeah, please, that would be incredible. Yeah, and, and also it's just to add on to your point there of the incredibly powerful woman that is going to sit there with that man and just be there and be present. Honestly, looking back in some of my deepest darkest moments of pouring out my heart and my soul, that really was the greatest mm-hmm. thing. Uh, the you know, May, my wife, you know, at the time she, it was never just like, okay, no, here's an immediate action. I here, do this. You're feeling this because of that. It was just, she was just present yeah. and she just allowed me to just get every word and mumble and drool yeah. <laughs> and, and tear out. And, and to the man listening to the man that maybe your female listeners will share this with, I'm here to tell you, like, that is not a sign of weakness. That is that is, I think, the the strongest thing that we can do because it is through that, it is on the other side 
that you truly realize your yeah. strength and you truly realize where you need to go back and strengthen certain other areas. Um, it is not at all a weakness. And in fact, I think it's one of the strongest things we can do as a man this day and age. Absolutely. And it's, it's what I have heard from Brene's research is that the problem is that many men are afraid and maybe they've had this experience before that if they share the hard things with their female partner is that as women, we don't want to see quote unquote, our man fall off his white horse. Like we have um, a vision in our mind of strength and how it needs to be. And we need you to be stoic. We need you to be not affected by your emotions. We need you to be able to compartmentalize everything because if you can't, what does that mean for the rest of us? So it's it's this really interest. It's fascinating to me from a cultural perspective and patriarchy and like how even I feel as someone who's working on, you know, breaking down my own misogyny and my my own internalized patriarchy, like what are the stories and ideas I I have made up that is manhood, that that is masculinity in my, you know, in my, the men in my life. And so it's interesting in, for the listeners just to even think about like, what are, what are the stories that you make up about quote unquote manhood and what your partner should be? And, and again, forgive me for talking about heterosexual relationships. I know that all my listeners are not, but for the sake of your, this conversation <laughs> between you and I, I think, I think it's, um, it might be helpful for the listeners. Absolutely. And I will even go a little bit further there and say that that truly was another key component to a lot of my work of personal development, self-help. And once I really began to look inward, it, I had this resistance. I had these walls up around so many areas of my life. I'm talking about like, are drugs bad? I'm talking, is marijuana going to turn me into a crack whore? You know, if I drink alcohol, will Jesus not forgive me? It, you know, it began to just show me these areas of, wait a minute, do I actually believe this or is this just someone else's aka my parents mm-hmm. you know and my upbringings is it their belief system that is just expected of me to also adopt now i love my parents and my upbringing and my grandparents i i truly attribute so much of who i am today to them in, in terms of the foundation of principles and just being a damn good decent human being but at the same time i was like wait a minute i have again these walls and this friction because I'm forcing myself to live a life in certain ways that I really don't believe. And maybe it's not so much that I don't believe them, but rather I was just living it because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And so I opened up and I made the space physically, emotionally, geographically to just explore like, who am I? What do I think is right and wrong? Um, And just to allow myself to write my own Mm -hmm. narrative taking the key core principles that I believe to be true from the previous generation. And that's all we do generation to generation. We just pass down stories and belief systems because that's what we think we're supposed to do. And our truth is our parents' truth, yada, yada, yada. I really think that also in terms like the whole revolution and masculinity, I think our parents' generation and our generation right now, we're in a huge transition. Uh, I think there is becoming a lot more awareness around their generation and generations before them and really what it is that we are here to believe and adopt in our narrative and therefore what it is like that our kids and their grandkids are going to adopt. I think right now this generation right here is the most pivotal moment in in current history for just Mm -hmm. society and culture and religion and a lot of different things. 
I think we're going to see huge shifts in like my children's generation. I think, I think generate this, I'm going to totally generalize here for a second. I think generation X, which is my generation, I think we're kind of like dipping our toes in. And again, like there are some that are, are more jumping in than others. And then millennials are changing the conversation, which I know is your generation. And I think, what is the next one? Generation Z, right? That's my kid's generation. I think they're the ones who are going to significantly, like we're going to see significant action changes. Like I was having a conversation with someone, it was a group conversation and a woman whose daughter is in college. She was saying that she was using her daughter's car. She's like, I get in and there's these condoms on the dashboard. And there was another woman in the circle who was just so horrified and so embarrassed. And she's my age. She w- And I said, you know what? I don't think her daughter cares. You know, like, <laughs> like it's not the yeah. same as it was for us. <laughs> and, and she was like, it, it's like, well, that's cool. You're probably not right. getting STDs. Like, I, well, that's cool. And, and even like, as a yeah. like as a parent, like my children are, are are not in college yet, but like I would be so glad. And and this other friend who was embarrassed, she said, "My dad would have rather me done drugs than have sex in college." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" Oh like it's just and and her dad, I'm assuming, was like the baby boomer generation. My parents are even older. They're my mom was born in 1942, so I think she's just on the cusp of what was even before the baby boomer generation, which did you know that they're called the silent generation? Oh, wow. I've never heard that. I, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. Though. I was talking to my mom about it and she started laughing and she's like, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me. And what she meant by that is like, nobody talked about anything. And I don't know if they named it the silent generation for that. Yeah, like, <laughs> everything's perfect. Don't but talk about anything. We don't talk about anything. Yeah. And it's, it's and a lot make. of- it's the biggest mistake we can make. My, my parents were- you know, from that generation and, and same, like I, I, I always laugh because everyone who comes on this podcast, including me always like prefaces talking about their parents by saying they were really great people. I love them <laughs> and they weren't perfect. You know, they were also raised by humans, but it's, um, it's breaking the cycle. And those of you listening, like you don't have to be perfect at it. Like it's all a process. And I think it's, you know, asking yourself questions like, what is the new narrative that I want to make? I want to say something too, though, real quick about the narrative. Tell me if you agree with me or not. I find that sometimes I can intellectualize new narratives. Like, and some of them I can accept more than others. Like, okay, it's not shameful to talk about having abortions, you know, whereas that was the narrative of my parents' generation. But I'm telling you the religion ones- That is embedded in my DNA. That is difficult. Like, because I can intellectualize to you and say, like, of course Jesus still loves you if you drink Chase. (laughs) You're gonna be fine. Like, how do how do you how is that how has that played out in in your life? Because I'm I'm pretty sure I have a lot of listeners who have kind of been through spiritual transitions and things like that. Yeah, it's it was really, really embedded in me because, uh, you know, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Southwest Virginia. Shout out Roanoke, Virginia. If any of the four people that live there are listening, um, I probably know you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I grew up in a pretty religious household. Uh, I was baptized Episcopalian, grew up Southern Baptist, kind of bounced around a few non-denominational churches here and there. And I actually went from like seventh grade, like eighth grade on middle school and high school, I was transplanted into a private Christian school. So again, it was this mm-hmm. belief system that you don't know any better as a kid. You just do what you think you're supposed to be doing because your parents say you have to and all the other people you're around. Like I made friends and again, I'm not knocking it. I, I still call myself a Christian, but it was just now I was able to take a step back and really evaluate like how I believe and specifically what I believe and what I choose to take away from these ancient writings that are not to like 
ruffle any feathers here, but you, you can't not think this. You're going, you're going to offend some people. So okay. just go ahead. So something that was written thousands and thousands of years ago, I think there has to be room for interpretation. There has to be room for new application right. because we as a society, I mean, help back then, like they probably thought it was all just one continent. They didn't even know what a continent was. They didn't know that there was outer space. And I, I just think that there are core principles that I absolutely believe. And as a, a human race, regardless of the religion, uh, I think I agree with. And I, I do believe that we have a creator. I, I find it hard to believe that we're just this spontaneous, just poof, and that we're also the only people out there. Um, I'm getting off on like a Neil deGrasse Tyson tangent, just talking about space. <laughs> but it, it really made me think. And I, looking back again, now having the foresight, I it, it makes sense why I kind of had some hesitations around like, ah, oh, like I don't want to go to Sunday school or Ugh, this another, another youth mm-hmm. trip. It was great. I made awesome friends. I had great experiences. I got to go skiing. I got to travel. And as yeah. a kid, I liked youth group because I had crushes on some of the boys. Like that's really the only reason I. Kept I was madly in love with like three of the girls in there. I was like, "Yeah, are, are you going? <laughs> yeah, I'll go. Okay, cool. Maybe, maybe. Okay, she's going. Okay, yeah. I'll be your friend down the bunny slope. No worries. Um, yeah, and so it was just again, it was just kind of just going with the tide because I didn't want to feel excluded. I wanted to make my parents proud. I. I I wanted to like kind of fit in and I enjoyed the people that I was around. I was like, well, I don't actually totally hate myself or my life. I can tolerate this, even though I did have some friction around, wait, do I believe that? Or wait, does anybody else have a question around this area? Um, and, you know, to this day and age, I, I honestly, I haven't gone back to church in a long, long time. Uh, I still have daily quiet time, prayer, call it whatever you want. I'm very grateful. I acknowledge other human beings. And I try to just be a decent human being to everyone that I come encounter with. Um, and actually since marrying my wife, she is of the Baha'i faith. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm, I have. Yeah. So I honestly think that their religion is the, it makes the most sense. Basically of what I understand about it, it is really just looking at every religion is basically right. I mean, when you look at the stories, we're all talking about a creator. We're talking about connecting with human beings and making our society and our earth better. I can get on board with that. Um, And they're just very welcoming and accepting of everybody. And I was like, wow, like that'd be pretty cool if every human being just get on board with, Hey, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. We'll just make this life as best as possible. Uh, and then, you know, we both believe that on the other side, we're going to connect again somewhere, somehow. Um, doesn't matter if you call your God, Allah, Jesus, Krishna, or, you know, whatever, uh, ancient alien. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. uh, we lose sight of these core principles, I think. Um, and so it was difficult for me growing up to just blindly accept a lot of things. Um, but again, I don't really hold it against my parents. It's just, you know, part of the upbringing, I guess, in Southern Virginia. <laughs> In Southern Virginia. Yeah, that, that is the South. It's, it's, I have a similar experience. I haven't talked about this a whole lot on the, on the podcast. So I appreciate your. Oh, we pulling out an Andy exclusive on your own show. That's awesome. Yes, it is. I I need like a a little (laughs) song for that. Like Missy Misdemeanors. Like this is a Missy exclusive. Your own theme music. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I, same in, I grew up Lutheran and they I remember them not really liking it when I, I've always been a bit of a shit shoveler and I would ask questions, which I quickly realized like, oh, they don't, they don't like it. (laughs) Raise your hand and say, can't someone survive three days without water? Couldn't Jesus have just been unconscious? (laughs) 
And they were like, no, no. Um, so I remember having doubts young and feeling very ashamed of them. And then also, like much later in life, coming to my own conclusions where I think I need to walk away from this and and find some other spiritual path, but also feeling having that voice of saying, what if I'm wrong? What if what if we get to the end of our life and there's Peter and he's like, sorry, girl, <laughs> you can't come in because you left and you don't have Jesus in your heart anymore. Like those feelings aren't as bad as they used to be. Like I've taken religious courses in college that have helped me just, again, sort of intellectualize it, but I've learned from other spiritual mentors and things like that. So I do think that I'm going to be okay in the afterlife. I'm confident in that. But I say all that because I I don't think it's uncommon for people to go through these spiritual transitions and go through periods where they feel lost. Like what I think it's just human nature for us to want to know what's it all for? Like what are we all here for? What's on the other side? What do I need to do to have happiness in my eternal life, to see my loved ones? All these questions that will never be answered. That's it. And, and honestly, I think for a lot of people, I'll just speak personally, that was really it. When I raised my hand, I want to be baptized and I want to, you know, accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I, I was like seven, eight years old. My brain isn't even mm-hmm. fully developed. How can I make this life altering decision? And I, I'm not, again, not knocking anyone's decision. Like you do what you have to do and do what you believe. But yeah, it's just, I, I think personally, I felt more compelled to do that because of everything you just said, because, well, shit, I, if everyone dies or if I die, I don't want to be the one left out of heaven. You know, I want to be considered. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good, you know, like, <laughs> that's a pretty good way motive, to yeah. get people to do what you want to do. Yeah, it's a good motivator. And, and it, I, right. I, I strongly believe now that, I mean, again, I, I would call myself a Christian. I have my core beliefs, uh, but I just truly believe that our creator, creators, whatever, if they, if we do get up there after we take our last breath and there is this kind of evaluation and they look back, Oh, Chase, you didn't go to church every Sunday or you didn't tithe 10% exactly. Every time you got a paycheck or you didn't do all of these things that someone wrote about 10,000 years ago or society at your time told you, you had to do in order to be accepted by your creator. Um, I don't think that'll be the case because each day I wake up and I'm human I was raised by humans. Like you said, I love that. And I make mistakes, but you know, it's, I'm not blind to them. Again, I have a great person woman in my life to, to show me <laughs> those mistakes. Um, but you know, I, I try to just make things better and I try to be a good neighbor and a good friend and just a decent human being. And I try to make my life and the people around me better and my environment better. I, I just have a hard time believing that if someone did look at my life rap sheet and the, I wouldn't get in, you know, like, like, dude, I'm pretty sure my name's on the list for heaven. Like you talk to another doctor or something. Check again. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Also, I could be a total idiot and I'll be damned to hell. And we're all damned. (laughs) Well, I'll see you in hell then. I'll see you in hell. Save you a seat. And now that we've offended all the Christians, let me get back to the questions that I was going to ask you. (laughs) Maybe we can start a podcast together down there. Where we where we prepare for one thing and then go off on a completely different conversation. When Chase and well, Andrew get for, burned, for join us in eternity. Right. <laughs> where we just quote Nacho Libre the whole time. People don't <laughs> and I'm not listening. 
Well, okay. I just I have I have one actual question to wrap it up. Let's get back to what you actually do. And you made the uh, connection very early on in the show, and you, you said ever forward. So talk about that term for us. I think it's it's tattooed on your body, right? It has special meaning for you. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's my inner bicep tattoo, and it's been my license plate for hell probably since I was like twenty, something like that. And even going way back, it was just this mantra. It was this thing that, again, going back to parental belief systems that I just heard my dad say all the time. And I just chalked it up as to this thing that, okay, he just doesn't want me to be a shithead. All right, cool. Ever for dad. All right. And I, again, I know now really what that means and what it meant to him. And he, long backstory, so he, he actually picked it up from his time in the military. He was a veteran himself. He served in the Army National Guard for a while before going active duty with the really prestigious unit, the 101st Airborne. Uh, he's a Persian Gulf vet. And his first unit, every unit you're in in the military, at least in the Army, there's a creed, right? We have like this saying, this this kind of phrase that everybody gets behind. And his there was ever forward. And that actually goes way, way back to before we were even technically a country. It was this band of just infantrymen and just band of brothers in colonial wigs and spandex and stuff uh, running around defending America, like late 1700s. And I truly, really learned what it meant when my dad was diagnosed and he quickly degraded and just became a shell of a man. He was just Mm -hmm. this big, burly, strong army guy. And then he got out and he was just this entrepreneur and he was my hero and he was everything to me. And he just became a prisoner of his own body. He just became withering. It was withering away. Every time I saw him, it was just worse and worse and worse. Um, and no matter how bad he had it, and I'm talking when he, he couldn't move, he couldn't talk, uh, he would need multiple people to help him when he would fall on the floor. He always, he just never complained. And he was so accepting of it and he was a very religious man and he was just like chase it's it's my time like i'm ready to meet my maker it's i've put things in place like my family will want for nothing you're on your path in the military don't let my ending stop yours from beginning and literally the last few days that he could walk um he flew out to california because i was about to give it up andrew i i was like there's no way i'm going to stay in the army while my family is suffering my dad is suffering and he, he flew out to where I was stationed at the time in California, and he spent four days with me just walking, talking, just father-son time, literally just expressing to me, teaching me what it meant to live a life ever forward, and how he was so okay with where he was in life and just his dreams and aspirations for me. And he completely changed the trajectory of my life in those four days. I went back and I, I canceled the paperwork I'd already submitted with my unit to submit a family hardship to cancel my contract. And I stayed in. And and after he passed away in 2005, I, again, like I've been saying, I, I didn't deal with it. I took, uh, I took about a decade to truly just open up and grieve and just let it all out and just really seek the professional help I needed and really talk to the people around me and let them know what I was going through and how they could help me. And that's when it all clicked. This was about 2000. 15 ish. And that's when I got that $4 me journal from CVS and started listening to the podcasts. And I was like, all right, damn it, dad, I hear you. All right. Ever forward, ever forward, like stop just loathing and all of this and find the gift. Like the question you asked me earlier, there's a gift in everything. 
And it's just, it's so, so hard to see it sometimes because we don't want to, we're not ready for it. Uh, we don't understand it. But uh, that was, that, that's how I started this Everford path. And at the time, you know, my brother, he, he was growing on social media and he was really pursuing this YouTube fitness thing. And he introduced Everford as a brand first. He, he launched Everford Apparel and mm-hmm. we were selling and slinging and packaging shirts out of our kitchen. We lived together for about a year up in Northern Virginia and um, running back and forth to the post office. And once that caught on, I was like, wow, there's something more here. Um, how else can we get the message out? How else can I live a life ever forward and share this with people? And again, like I said, I was listening to podcasts. I was like, hell, maybe I should start one. And I did. And then I launched Everford yeah. Radio and it's been about two and a half years now. And I've never looked back since. And about two years ago, I introduced, you know, I just did for myself what I was doing for others. I introduced our coaching platform, Everford Coach. Um, I was in the health and wellness industry for about a decade, health coach, personal trainer, group exercise instructor, corporate wellness, you name it, I've done it in that field. And yeah, I just we just continue to find new and exciting and unique ways to share that message and what it means to live a life ever forward, whether you're wearing a t-shirt or listening to a podcast or we're working with you one-on-one. In our coaching and stuff. Oh, walking through grief and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're just sharing our experiences and hoping that it mm-hmm. connects with some other people to, you know, really understand and dig deeper in their experiences and um, curate their own moving forward, you know. Fantastic. I thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it's just such an inspiring story. And you have passed the test for being one of the very <laughs> few. Um, white, cisgendered, heterosexual men that I have on the show. And yes, you do have a great podcast. (laughs) You're welcome. You have a great podcast. That link will be in the show notes. And I have been a guest twice, so everyone can go listen to those. Uh, ChaseTuning.com. Thank you so much for being here and being so open and allowing me to take you on a different journey that we had anticipated. I really appreciate it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, thank you, Andrew. It's been such an honor to come back on here. And um, if anybody wants to hear a really funny story and just really recognize how amazing you are, go back and listen to the most recent episode oh you my were God. on. Um, yeah. We, we, we'll put it in the we show. Had, we had some truth shared. Uh, and we just did. We had, <laughs> <laughs> we had a bit of a falling out. I think they call that a row <laughs> if you're British. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, we put the band back together and um, we did. It was, ha- I, yeah. the story of it, it was just, it was handled really maturely on both of our ends. And I was proud of both of us. And it's a great, it's a great learning lesson. So yeah, it was the second episode I was on and link in the show notes, everybody. Of course. Thank you I'm for so being grateful so for people awesome. Like you. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, no, I mean, God, if I've been doing this this long and I'm an asshole to, to people in the industry, like you're not going to last long if you're, if you're a dick. So thank you everyone too, for listening. You know how much I appreciate your time and how valuable I know that it is. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye everybody. 